and then you have the uh, another major event in the world, the flood, and then the formation of nations. So those four things, you have the formation of the world, the fall of man, the flood, and the formation of nations. Those four things take place here in the general history. That is the first 11 chapters of the Word of God, uh, just to try and keep it connected. Now, I have given to you a brief... Uh, uh, outline here a timeline which shows the age of innocence, the beginning of this uh, time period with man that is on the table back there. But this is the age of innocence talking about the fall. We begin here in Genesis chapter 2, 18 through 20, where you have Adam and Eve are created. They begin to live. They begin to experience what God planned for man to live in a perfect world. You have see the temptation of sin in Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Uh, then the act of sin. Then the fall comes. Man fell into sin. And from there on, man lives in a state of sin outside of Jesus Christ. Then the threefold curse. Genesis 3.15, the promise of the Messiah that's going to come and uh, provide a way back to uh, what it was in God's original design, uh, ultimately, and that's through the Son. And then the period ends with the judgment and expulsion from the garden, Genesis 3, 24. So this is the fall. Now we're going to go a little bit past this, hopefully this morning, because we are talking, uh, this is the age of innocence, dealing specifically with the fall. But we are going to go a little bit beyond that, because we want to conclude uh, the events that lead us up to the flood, okay? So uh, we're going to go a little bit up to, hopefully, chapter number 5. Uh, so this, the book of Genesis, we know, is the book of beginnings. It's the, be the first book of the Bible, the first book of the Pentateuch. Uh, the Pentateuch is made up of uh, how many books? Five, okay, and they are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Let's try that again. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We want to try and commit the, work, the books of the Bible to memory throughout this year. If you haven't done that yet, get that, look at it, start working on getting those uh, in memory. Uh, we're going to start moving quicker through the Word of God, and we're going to be adding more uh, on a much faster pace as we get along. So I would encourage you to start getting ahead, reading some of those things. Um, so last week we finished up the formation period, looking at creation and the establishment of God's world here, the perfect environment that man lived in. Uh, I was reading this week about uh, a doctor, an engineer, a rabbi, and a lawyer were having a discussion as to who or what field of study was present at the beginning of time. And uh, they were all debating and presenting their arguments arguments and the doctor said surely it must have been a doctor I mean who else would have been there to help perform that first surgery and pull from man uh, the rib to to make a woman and and the rabbi said no 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 God could handle that by himself but of course the establishing of the law and writing all these things and getting everything established it surely it must have been a rabbi and uh, then the engineer said guys come on I mean think about it Think about how hard it would have been at the very beginning. You think about the, the magnitude of engineering that took place to build the world and to, to, to create organization out of chaos. And the lawyer said, well, who made the chaos? <laughs> Some of you get that later, I guess. So uh, <coughs> the uh, <coughs> beginnings here... We want to see this is the age of innocence. I showed you that in the outline. Um, because I'm going to try and move through this quickly, listen, if you have a question, say, no, I'm not saying, go ahead and ask it. Uh, don't worry about it. If I'm cranking and moving along, if you have a question or something, we'll just 
I want to take whatever time we need, so don't worry about it, but I am going to push forward. We see here at the beginning of your notes, the environment before sin, the environment before sin. I want you to know that this time frame, this was a picture of what it's going to be like in heaven. This time frame at the beginning when man lived and existed in a perfect environment, in perfect harmony with God's creation and with God. Uh, man was intellectually superior during this time. Intellectually superior. He didn't fight with the struggles that we fight with in our brains. You know, uh, all of us deal with different levels of uh, uh, memory problems, <laughs> you know, shorter memories, longer memories. Uh, you know, we struggle with things intellectually. Uh, Adam being able to name all of the animals and keep all of those animals straight and, and all of that uh, is a sign to his great intellectual capacity that God had given him. Man was physically stronger. We know this by just the fact that he didn't have any physical problems. Uh, he did not age. Uh, he did, was not going to die uh, he was not going to die. Uh, the promise of death was on the act of disobedience. And the obvious teaching or implication is if they would have remained obedient, they could have continued to live in perfect harmony with God in God's creation. But because sin came, then death came. And so they didn't age, didn't have any health problems, they didn't, uh, weren't going to experience death. The environment was friendlier. They lived in a friendly environment. There was no need to work for food. That's friendlier. Amen. The food uh, was God was provided for them. Uh, they were vegetarian, sadly, but uh, they, the, 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 food, the, the food was provided for them. God had it there for them. Uh, there was no pest to deal with. Uh, you know, the animals weren't pests. Um, you know, this morning there was a stink bug crawling across the wall of the auditorium. I says, if I leave that there, people are going to be watching that all through church, watching the stink bug make its journey through the auditorium. And so I got a tissue and got it up. But those, those, how do those stink bugs get into everything? I mean, they could get into the smallest little thing. You got these pests that we live with today. There was no weeds to pull. Uh, things just grew uh, because the ground wasn't cursed yet. They lived in a perfect environment. Relationships were easier. Uh, man had a consecrated relationship with God. He lived in a consecrated uh, unity with God in great fellowship and harmony with Him. Man had a committed relationship with his wife. Uh, you say, well, she's the only one. <laughs> I know. But that's, they were living in perfect harmony. Uh, and man had a congenial relationship with the animal kingdom. Now, that means friendly or in unity. Uh, they got along, you know. And the time will come again when uh, the lamb will lay down with the lion. And uh, that day is going to come. But for now, because of the curse, uh, the animal kingdom does not have a congenial relationship with man or one another. So we see this environment before sin came, and that's just kind of give you a little bit of description. Now we're getting into, we, we concluded chapter 2 last week, we're getting into chapter 3 where we're introduced to Satan. This is the beginning, the start, the introduction of Satan. Uh, he is the third character uh, mentioned to us in the Bible. We have man, woman, and now Satan is introduced to us. Satan was quite possibly the highest ranking angel ever created. We know that he was indeed uh, blessed by God in many, many ways and given a high position, possibly among the highest. He was a created angel who rebelled against God. I'm going to read for you Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. 
and just a description of his rebellion and who he was. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which dost weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend unto heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. This rebellion against God, a created being, and we talked about it briefly last week, but the idea that regardless of how much power Satan has, Satan is still a created being. He is not co-equal with God. He does not exist on the same plane. God allows Satan to do what God allows him to do. Sometimes we struggle in our mind theologically with that. We say, well, why in the world would God allow it? Why wouldn't God just stop him? I don't have all of those answers, but I want you to know that it's very plain in Scripture as the discussion with God and Job uh, where he, he had to get permission to touch one hair on Job's head. He had to get permission to inflict pain on Job in any aspect of Job's life, whether it's his crops failing or his houses being taken or family dying, all of it. God was in control. Satan is allowed to do what he's allowed to do, not in control of all of it. Satan was introduced to us here. He rebelled against God. Are there are many angels that rebelled with him. It's believed that about the third of the angels decided to go with Satan. Satan is not omnipresent like God is. Satan cannot be everywhere at once. But he has many uh, demons that uh, work, uh, these fallen angels that work on his behalf and help him fulfill his role. And sometimes Satan's able to use us. Uh, people, individuals to fulfill and accomplish his role as well. But he's not everywhere at once. He's not all-powerful or omniscient, uh, all-knowing, uh, or omnipresent in all places. So uh, he's not like God in those aspects. Uh, but many fell with him. In Revelation chapter 12, verse number 4, I think that's noted in your, in your notes there. If it's not, you want to. Verse number 3 talks about the red dragon. Uh, the red dragon is Satan. And it moves right into number 4. And it says, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them down to earth. Now that is, I don't have time to teach on that verse, but that is talking about a third of the stars of heaven are the angels of heaven. And a third of the angels came down with Satan. Uh, Satan to help him fulfill his work and his role, uh, what he wanted to accomplish here on earth. Now, beloved, we know this, but Satan is the God of the world. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe. So Satan is the God of this world. We know that. Uh, and God has given him this world to uh, have as his kingdom for now. And we're going to draw a much bigger picture for you. That's why I'm hoping to get this all done in one week. Because I, I want you to be able to see it from beginning to end and see what Satan is trying to do and what God is trying to do and how Satan at every turn tries to undermine God and we see that throughout history as we're walking through the Old Testament. So we see in a letter B there, the subtlety of Satan in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 1. Uh, he says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The subtlety of Satan. Obviously, we always looked at and think about snakes as being subtle, as being those kind of sneaky. They lie in wait. They hide out. Uh, and I don't know if he, of course, the, the snake was cursed by God, uh, but I don't know if that was his nature, and that's why Satan decided to use him. Uh, but 
Satan was very subtle, more subtle than any beast of the field. And uh, he causes man to doubt God's word, causes man to doubt God's word. He raised the question, hath God said in verse number one, uh, speaking to her, he says, um, and he said unto the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of the tree of the garden. I'd encourage you to have your Bible to look at these things. I am going to move quickly. Uh, some references I'm, I'm going to allude to, some I'm going to try and read, but you want to see it in the Word of God. So he, he tries to get us to doubt the Word of God. You know, beloved, Satan has won a great victory anytime he can get somebody to doubt the Word of God or to add to the Word of God to subtract from the Word of God. Anytime Satan can uh, impact the Word of God, he is winning a great victory. We see that in, if we look at verse number 2 and 3, we see the woman answer here, and she adds to the Word of God. Verse number 2, he says, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So she added to the Word of God. Now, now, you guys know that God didn't say you can't touch it, right? I mean, for the sake of time, we're not going to look back in the earlier chapter and see that. But God didn't say you can't touch it. Now, it's probably a good thing. If God said don't eat, it's probably a good thing not to go touch it. You want to be careful. You don't want to give place to the devil. You don't want to open up opportunity for temptation. But... Uh, she was adding to the word of God, changing what God said. And so we see, secondly, that he denies God's word in verse number four there. And he says flat out, he says, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Ye shall not surely die. God said, If ye eat of the tree, you're going to die, right? Satan says, That's not true. That's not true. You don't have to believe that. And Satan is still doing the same thing today to men by the multitudes. God sets forth his law and establishes and says what he wants. And, and Satan convinces them in their mind, oh, that's not true. You don't, you don't have to follow that. You don't have to believe that. You don't have to do that. No, he denies. And then he sows discord between God and Eve in uh, chapter 3, verse number 5 there. He says, and for God doth know that in the days that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. He says, oh, God's keeping something from you. God knows if you eat this, you're not going to die, but you're going you're gonna to know what he knows. You're going to be like a God. You, you, God is hiding from you. Boy, isn't that Satan's tactic? God is keeping something from you that you should be enjoying and uh, deceives men that way by sowing discord between the Creator and us. Satan's style has not changed from the beginning of the world until now. We see his threefold attack. Uh, see one there on, in your notes, uh, his threefold attack. And the reference, 1 John 2.16, let me read it to you. He says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. So he has mentioned here these descriptions, this threefold uh, attack, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh. And so we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 6, where Satan addresses these three aspects of temptation when he brings it to, to Eve. So we see, first of all, the lust of the flesh. That's in verse number 6 when he says, he saw it was good for food, um, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
Hey, she saw there was good food. That, the lust of the flesh, the desire to attain and to have and to enjoy this fleshful, fleshy, fleshful, fleshly appetite. <laughs> so then we see the lust of the eyes. Uh, that is that she looked at it and she says, boy, it was pleasant to the eyes. It was, it was appealing to the eyes. It was neat to see. It was something that drew you in. Uh, it, it drew you with just the way that it looked. Men, and, and they say food, uh, that presentation is 80% of it. How it looks when it comes out. Uh, you know, it should look good. Amen. Uh, there's some food that just you look at and you're like, ah, I'm not sure I want to eat that. You know, I just... Just does not look, I mean, I'm not even sure I want to try it. And I'm, I try a lot of stuff, but I've been there like, yeah, I'm not interested in that. And, and then I, sometimes I try it and I'm like, well, it's pleasantly surprised. It actually tasted good, you know, but looks is a lot of it. And uh, so we see that the lust of the eyes and the pride of life that is to make one wise. He goes on and says, oh, that this is to make the tree is to be desired to make one wise, the pride. The pride of life. You can be more uh, and achieve more. And so, listen, Satan is uh, a subtle beast of the field. He walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan desires to destroy. Uh, and Satan's methods haven't changed. He's going to go after the weakest member of a church. He's going to go after the weakest member of the family. He's going to go after the you at your weakest point in your life at the time and the hour when you are worn down the most. That's when Satan's going to attack because that's his method. You, you don't see the lion on the, on the safari out there in the front of the zebra pack attacking the, 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 the head of the, the pack. I don't know what they call them, uh, but whoever, you know, whatever zebra or uh, horse or whatever happens to be leading the gazelle that's running, they, they don't attack, they attack the one in the back. The one that's straggling, the one that maybe can't run quite as fast. I mean, why exert all the energy to try and get the big dog? I can just take out this guy. And uh, so you want to be very careful, uh, especially be cautious at your weakest points. You know when you're weak. You know when you're down that you know Satan's coming and he's going to attack. I want you to know that God came to give life. From the very beginning, God came to give life. He came to give life. And the life that he gave is a life that he wants you to have that's even more abundant, more abundant life. But Satan came uh, to kill and destroy, to lie, steal, and destroy. That's Satan's way. From the beginning until now, every lie that Satan puts out there, every appealing appetite, every temptation, no matter how uh, pleasant to the eyes it is, no matter how it feeds the pride of life, whatever it is, it comes at a cost. Because Satan would do all he can to destroy you. Every approach of Satan has a very costly price tag. We see here the sin of Adam and ultimately what it cost all of mankind. Eve was deceived, but Adam was deliberate. Adam was deliberate. Uh, the, First Timothy 2.14 tells us that. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. So they both committed sin. I want you to know that ignorance is not an excuse. Uh, Eve was deceived, but the Bible is very clear to say, hey, she was deceived, but she still transgressed. She still sinned. She still did wrong. Even though she didn't make the deliberate choice and she was deceived by Satan, it was still sin. It was still wrong. But Adam made a deliberate choice. Temptation came through Eve, but the fall of man came through Adam. We know that. The Bible is very clear 
uh, on that. Sin entered the world through Adam, Romans 5.12. Wherefore, as by sin, uh, my mind just went blank. Help me out. Yeah, for all men have sinned. No. And death passed upon all men. Yes, for as by one man sin entered into the world, and so death by sin passed upon all men for all have sinned. Sorry. I missed the beginning of it there, and my mind went blank. So uh, that sin came from Adam. We know that. Um, then Adam, we see this evident here in, as Adam attempts to hide his nakedness in chapter 3 and verse number 7. And the eyes of them both were opened, that they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They tried to cover their own nakedness. This is man's first attempt at self-righteousness. And right away here at the very beginning of the Bible, God teaches that man's attempts are not sufficient Self-righteousness is never going to be good enough. The Bible says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Adam attempts to hide his nakedness. Adam attempts to hide himself in verse number 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Now we know that's kind of foolish. We can't hide from God. Uh, The psalmist says, whither shall I go from the presence of God? You can't get away from God. Yes. Yeah, you can jump down to uh, six and, uh, you know, maybe see there the end of it. And he did eat and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. Um, It was a choice that he made. He was not deceived um, at all. And he hid his nakedness there. Number three, he attempted to hide himself. Uh, Verse number eight, uh, we can't hide from the presence of God. Psalms 139, verse 7. And Adam attempts to accuse someone else. Uh, This is no different uh, today. Men try and blame, so it's always somebody else's fault. And even, you know, today they try and say, oh, well, uh, it's a some disease fault. Uh, It's, uh, you know, a uh, disorder that I have. Uh, The number of disorders continues to grow. And, uh, you know, a spanking fixed most of those disorders when I was a kid. Uh, But anyways, uh, that's the way it is today. Uh, And so we see it's very normal, natural, even from the very beginning, that man tried to blame their sin on somebody else. See in verse number 12, and the man said to the woman, it was the woman whom thou gavest uh, to be with me. She gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Yeah, I ate, but it was a woman. And the Lord God, verse number 13, the Lord God said unto the woman, What is it that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So we see that deflection or trying to accuse someone else. Now, God provides a way of redemption for all men in chapter 3 in verse number 15. This is another one of the key verses that we, we gave you. The two key verses in the book of Genesis is 1 1 in the beginning, God. That's the foundation of it all. And Genesis 3.15, because this is the promise of the Messiah, the redemption, the way that God would provide for man to get back into fellowship with him. Even at the very beginning, God promised that this was going to happen. And so let's, let's just read that verse together. Um, Genesis 3.15, follow along. And I'll put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and 
and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, the, the, the wording of that uh, verse sometimes trips people up. Uh, and they, if they aren't careful, they'll end up teaching false doctrine. Uh, I, this week, was listening to a preacher that was talking about how woman is the one that's going to smash the head of Satan one day. I don't know how he could get that far off because that's not what this verse teaches. He was reading that and say, listen, women are special, women are wonderful, and, and women are great. One day women are going to destroy Satan. Well, that's not what this says. Uh, God was going to use women. Women are special, women are wonderful, and they've been used miraculously through uh, all of history. And God told us right here that the Messiah was going to come through a woman, but the Messiah is the one that's going to smash the head of Satan. Uh, not woman uh, herself. And so we see this, the enmity that was established between thy seed, talking to Satan, and her seed. Okay, now, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So God promises a Savior. That's little letter A there. God promises a Savior. The woman's seed was going to be the Messiah. Now, you guys know that women don't have seed, right? That's... Naturally, women don't have seed by themselves. This was a picture or a promise of the virgin birth of, of Jesus Christ that was going to come because his seed is the seed of Cain. His seed is the seed of sin. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. And that sinful nature is passed down through the seed of men from, for, for all of time. And so that sinful seed couldn't have been transferred to Christ. So you had to have a virgin birth. You had to have a birth without the transfer of sin because it's transferred from one man to another. And so uh, thy seed and her seed, her seed uh, is going to be the promised Messiah. Thy seed is the sin sinful man. And he says here that explains the Savior will suffer at the hand of Satan that bruise his heel. Um, his heel was going to be bruised. This is a prophecy of Jesus Christ when he was going to die on the cross. His seed, men, filled with sin, were going to bruise his heel. That is, they're going to crucify Jesus Christ, knowing that it was not going to be a permanent uh, death. It was just going to be a bruise, a bruise on the heel. But there would come a time when the Messiah, her seed, was going to give him a mortal wound, and that is typified by the description of the head wound here, explains that the Savior will, will win completely by bruising thy head. This is the fatal wound. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 10, so it's not, he did administer a tremendous wound when he rose from the grave. He won the victory over the death and the grave and over Satan, but the, the final victory will be in the end when, when Satan is cast into hell. In Revelation 20 verse number 10, and, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. The enmity still exists there. So we see here the God's punishment of sin, the judgment on sin that comes, the threefold uh, curse on man and the effect of it uh, as seen as he describes here in the following verses. So we, I'm just going to give these to you. You can read these verses, but death it comes. We know there's three types of death mentioned in the Bible. There's a physical death that is a result of sin. We know that every man's going to die because of sin. Death uh, physically is separation from the spirit from the body, our spirit. To be absent from the body is to be 
present with the Lord. That's what happens at physical death. Our, our spirit is present with the Lord. Uh, but there's also spiritual death, Ephesians 2.1. That is separation of the soul from God, from, from God's presence, uh, separating from him. Um, spiritual death took place in the garden. Men are born spiritually dead now because they don't know Jesus. And we are made spiritually alive when we put our faith and trust in Christ and ask him to forgive us of our sin. And so spiritual death passed upon all men. And then eternal death is Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15. That's where man or the sinner is permanently separated from God forever and ever. Okay, now, so the one judgment on sin is death was going to come. Deception would be present. Men are going to believe the lies of Satan, going to believe the lies of their own heart. Discontentment was going to continue to reign in the heart of men. Men were going to be selfish. That's number three, discontentment. Men were going to continue to be selfish. Listen, beloved, the promise of Satan is always just out of reach. There is no contentment found in Satan. In anything that he offers you, any sin or appetite or desire that is promoted by Satan is always just out of reach. It doesn't matter how much of it you attain, you're going to be, I need a little more. I need one more. I, I, oh, if I just had this, it would be enough. No, it's never going to be enough. There is no contentment in the temptation of Satan. Contentment comes in satisfaction with Jesus Christ, and that can only come through him. So men were going to be selfish. They also were going to be self-conscious. Self-conscious. We see that in the verse that I read earlier, that they realized they were naked. Adam had a conscience in the garden, but he was self-conscious after he sinned. He was aware of himself and knew what he was doing was right or wrong. That self-consciousness, it was evident by his attempt to hide his own nakedness. Decay was going to come. We see that all things are wax worse and worse. The second law of thermodynamics is in effect. And uh, things were going to get decay. We were going to get sick. Life was going to progress in a much harder way. Discomfort was going to be present. We see this. There's going to be sorrow and pain in childbirth. Uh, men were going to have to work and toil at even to get things to grow in the ground where they used to just grow. Now we've got to fight back the weeds and we've got to struggle with any in infections and all these other things that come. It was going to be a lot harder to live here on earth. And then they were driven out of Eden in chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. Now, thirdly, we want to see here the effect of sin. Are we doing okay? I'm cranking. We're moving right along. Um, so we we're, we're just want to make sure you're still awake and still with me. Sometimes if I go too much, you guys don't have all of the background stuff that I have in my head, and maybe I forget to say something. But um, the effects of sin, the disastrous effects of sin, are now passed through the blood. All men are born sinners. Uh, we see this as it continues through the generations that follow. So we see the continuation of the sinful nature in uh Chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Now, this is contrasted between Cain and Abel. Right and wrong. Righteousness and wickedness. Good and evil. They're evidenced by and they're typified by the examples given to us in Cain and Abel. They're representative of righteousness and wicked seed. The righteous seed was Abel, evidenced by his life and what he did. Ultimately, we'll get into that a little bit more later. And then... Uh, we see Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. He brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. This is an obedience to God. Um, I'm sorry. Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. This is in disobedience to God. This was a cursed ground. He was not supposed to do that. He, he knew that what, he, what God required, and yet he still decided to do this this way. And Abel brought an offering of the flock. This was in obedience to God, doing what God wanted them to do. They knew that this is what God wanted. They had been taught this, and yet uh, Abel did it, and Cain did not. 
Um, this Abel's offering shows respect to God, shows obedience to God. Cain is a way of the world. Cain stands as a picture, and uh, the Bible describes the way of Cain. Uh, the way of Cain is a way of self-righteousness. The way of Cain is a, is a way of doing what you want to do and disregarding God. Um, we see this contrast here between grace and works. And uh, the corruption of man increases over and over and over. Uh, if I didn't put it in your notes there, you might want to write down Jude 1.11. This is, uh, describes the way of Cain. Woe unto them that have gone the way of Cain. So a caution there to go the way of Cain. The corruption of man increases uh, continually. Um, where we see the commitment of the first murder uh, in chapter 4, verses 8 through 15. The commitment of the first murder. Um, from one act of disobedience, man's wickedness continues to progress. First murder, second murder, and so many things. Now, there is a description here, and I've given you this uh, uh, as well to go in your notes to show you the descendants here. This is not total, total descendants. This is tracking the lineage of Adam, and then you have the line of Cain, and then you have Abel, who was killed, and there could be no descendants from him because he was killed. And then you have Seth and the line of Seth. Jesus Christ comes through the line of Seth. God provided that on purpose. We're going to see that in the scripture in a minute. But the way of Cain is a way of wickedness. And we see that progression happen uh, as they continue. And that's why I wanted you to see it in printed form to be able to observe what was taking place here. So the civilization of men, we don't have time to read all these scriptures, but the civilization of men increases, chapter 4, 16 through 24. We see the population expand with the first city, 417. We see the practice of polygamy is uh, founded in chapter 4, verse number 19. I mean, so early, this was not God's plan. We're just a couple of chapters from Genesis in the beginning when God created he, them, uh, male and female. God said it's good for him to have a help meet. Uh, there's no question about what they were supposed to do, but they wanted to do what they wanted to do, and polygamy was instituted. Uh, there's a progression of man in chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. Again, we, I wish we could, we could take three or four weeks on just this lesson pretty easily, uh, but we've got to just go through this. The progression of man, listen, the, the uh, worldly mentality of this, uh, the Stone Age, where man was uh, just a beast out there in the field and, and slowly over time progressed to where he could uh, somehow, you know, he saw a, a stone roll and thought, oh, wait, something could roll? Oh, wow, uh, I could come up with a wheel and we're going to make a wheel. And, and over another few hundred thousand years, he developed a way to come up with a, with a hoe out of something. And then, and then no, that, that stone age and that mentality, it's all false. It's all made up. It's all uh, just fabricated. The Bible tells you right here in the book of Genesis, this is chapter number four, right at the beginning, we see many marvelous things, such as the, in, the use of musical instruments in chapter four. And you guys can read these. I would encourage you to read them later. Four, 16 through 24. Um, I'm sorry, 20 to 24, the use of musical instruments. We see metallurgy right here, all the way in the beginning, metallurgy, being able to take different rocks and melt them down and make different metals and put things together and use metal for different, different things right here at the beginning. Uh, all of this uh, right here, the progression of man, man is growing. And then we see a parting from righteousness, 23 to 24, a parting from righteousness. Beloved, the first murder uh, came, uh, hit it in the ground. Uh, God said, uh, why is the 
blood of thy brother crieth to me from the ground. Cain tried to hide it, and God said, I hear his blood crying from the ground. One of the most powerful messages I ever uh, read was by C.H. Spurgeon, uh, the blood of uh, Christ crieth greater things than that of, of Abel. And talking about what Abel's blood cried from the ground to God, and, and then the blood that Jesus Christ, when it was shed and it fell at the foot of the cross, and what it cried from the ground. A powerful message. You could find it online. Uh, look it up. It is long because Spurgeon was long-winded. Um, but it's a great message. Anyways, um, the second murder in verse number 24, we see uh, that Limech killed somebody, and now he's bragging about it. He says, oh, these people did this to me. Uh, I was hurt by them, and I went and I killed them. So he's bragging about it now. Again, the progression of the wickedness. Um, and, but you see God providing a way to continue. Look at chapter 4 and verse number 25. We see here, Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. Listen to what God says here. He says, for God said, she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. God said, she hath pointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. That's because Cain is representative of the world and of Satan and the flesh and all that is wrong in this world. He represents that and that continues to progress through this line and you'll see it over and over again. Abel was killed. The, the, the son through which God was going to bring the Messiah. But Satan knew that and Satan said, hey, uh, I'm going to kill Abel. This will undo God's plan. I'm going to stop the line through which uh, the promised Messiah, Genesis 3.15, is going to come. And Satan kills Abel. But then God says in, uh, that was it, 4.24? 4.25, that, hey, I'm going to provide another line. Another, he says, and she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. So I'm going to try and wrap this all up for you. We're going to go through the descendants really quick because we don't need to study genealogies uh, per se. I just want you to know that genealogies are given to us so that we can see the progression of men, but also so that we can follow and track the line of Christ so we know where the Savior comes from. Luke traces the line of Christ from Adam to Christ. Uh, Matthew traces it from Abraham to Christ. Uh, Adam to Noah is given to us in Genesis. These are right here in your notes. You don't have to have these. Uh, Genesis 3, 3 through 32, and Shem to Abraham, and 11 to 10 through 26. So these generations are listed. The generations of Cain are listed. The generations of Seth are listed. And I've given those to you there in two, two forms. Now, a couple of things as I wrap this up. I want you to know that this shows us that God has given light to men from the very beginning. From the, from the foundation of the world is God's plan that men would understand and know the message of the Savior. In Genesis 3.15, the promised Messiah was there. Men choose to live in darkness. We have the dark ages and other times in history where men were living in complete and other darkness. That's a choice that they make. God has always provided light. We see that description in Luke 1, verse number 70. He says, And he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. God's holy prophets have been here since the world began. Abel was the first prophet. Abel was killed. This, we, we heard that, or we learned that in Luke 11, verse number 50 and 51. Let me read it to you. The Bible, I'm sorry, that the blood of all the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. And in verse number 51, he says, From the blood of Abel 
unto the blood of Zacharias, which perished between the altar of the temple. So we have Abel mentioned as the first prophet there uh, in the beginning, bringing light and, and a way for men to know about the Messiah. Now, I've taken study and I've written this in paragraph form. So I'm going to read this so as to try and give you a good encapsulation. I want to summarize what took place right here in, in the scope of history and what God is doing. All right, so you guys with me? We, we went through this quick. Okay, here we go. Uh, it's just a few paragraphs, but I'm going to describe what we just covered looking through the pages of Scripture. One of the highest angels was not content, but sought to have more. He deceived himself into thinking that he could be as God. He failed. But in so doing, he became the adversary of God and all that is good. He desired to be a king, but had no kingdom. Uh, we do not know this, but possibly there was an interaction at this time, much like that of Satan and Job, Satan and Christ over Job. Satan had to get permission to even tempt man. Now, God allowed man's love and obedience to be tested. Satan tempted man with his own ambition to be like God. Man failed the test and fell into sin. Satan was made God of this world, the prince and the power of the air. Satan even offered the world to Christ if Christ would bow to him. Man chooses to be part of Satan's kingdom instead of living in obedience to God. So now there are two opposing kingdoms. So we see, I'm going to pause, we see the formation period, God established and built the world in perfect harmony as God planned for it to be. Satan rebelled against God, came and tempted man, and I'm sure that God said, hey, you can, you, you can tempt him because they're my creation and everything that I've done for them, they love me and they'll, they'll choose to do right. They tempted man and man fell. Man fell and now God made Satan uh, ruler and prince and power of the air, dominion here on earth. And we see that this, let me back up here. So we see two kingdoms at war now. You have the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. The pages of scripture unfold for us the story of how God is working to restore his kingdom. He presents his plan and provides a way for man to have access back to his perfect kingdom, restoring to them spiritual life and victory over death, defeating Satan once and for all. However, Satan is continually doing all he can to stop him. God introduced his plan in Genesis chapter 3, 14 and 15 to redeem man, to, re, to <clears throat> reverse the consequences of sin and provide adequate payment that man could be restored. Death was the only possible payment. Satan would bruise his heel, the promised Messiah, winning a brief victory, but Christ will one day bruise his head, winning, winning complete victory. Satan knew the plan, so he went to work right away to stop it. Seeing Adam's sons, he realized Abel was more pure, more right, 
and therefore the line of Christ. So having influence in Cain's life, he persuaded him to kill Abel. God needed a righteous line to deliver the Redeemer to the world, so he gave him Adam, uh, gave to Adam another seed, Seth. Seth means substitute. Seth became the substitute for Abel because Abel was killed. God provided a substitute because Satan killed the first line. Having failed to stop God, Satan would develop another plan. He now would strive to pervert the whole earth. Working through Cain in the line of Cain, corruption of man grew rapidly. Population grew, and so did the wickedness of men. Eventually, the way of Cain would corrupt the line of Seth until the way of man was only evil continually. So that brings us right up to the, the flood. So Satan, I know I went through that quick, but you understand what we're trying to say, how God had a plan, Satan messed it up. God said, okay, I need to provide a savior. It's going to come through Abel. Satan says, well, I'm going to kill Abel. God said, okay, you killed Abel, but I'm going to provide Seth. Seth is the line where Christ is going to come through. Satan says, well, I can't just keep killing guys because God's just going to provide another one. So what I'll do is I'll corrupt them all. I'm going to corrupt the whole earth. And so that corruption begins to spread everywhere, and then that takes us to the flood. All right, I hope I adequately drew a picture of that time period. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for...